Welcome to Wolfpack Career Chats from NC State University's Career Development Center, the only podcast dedicated to providing NC State students with current, relevant, and thought-provoking ideas that will challenge you to think about your future. Whether you want to know more about what hiring managers are really thinking, or you just need to hear an honest and encouraging story about overcoming obstacles to reach your goals, we've got you covered. Wolfpack Career Chats is just one of the many services we provide. Whether it's career fairs, on-campus interviews, co-op opportunities, or more, we are here for the pack. Hello, this is Marcy Bullock with Wolfpack Career Chats, and today I am delighted to have NC State alumnus Paul Nolan, who I met when he was an undergrad and now as an adult has crossed paths with me another time in my life. It's been my good fortune. Welcome, Paul. Thank you so much for having me, Marcy. It's good to be here. It's so good to have you. Um, It's a beautiful day here in Raleigh. Everybody's finishing up exams. Graduation is this weekend. It seems like yesterday you graduated, but it went by fast, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Um, NC State was the best four and a half years of my life. I love it. I love it. So I'm going to ask you to tell a little bit about yourself. Tell your story and be proud of yourself. Don't be humble because you did some amazing things while you were here. Well, thank you so much. That's that's very kind. Um, I started NC State in fall of 2013 and came to the university for a variety of reasons. But academically, I knew that the engineering college was where I wanted to be. And that was the program I wanted to pursue. But it didn't take long after arriving here on campus that I became heavily involved in a variety of different things throughout my undergraduate career that to this day I look back on and think are some of the most transformative experiences outside of the classroom that I could have, you know, never really could have imagined having until you're actually doing them. So throughout my time in undergrad, um, I held a variety of leadership positions. Uh, I served as a chancellor's aide. I was a peer mentor through multicultural student affairs, uh, found an additional love in political science where I actually picked up a second degree. Um, yes. So by the time I landed in my junior year, I had a, a path for degrees in both materials engineering and political science. That's also about the time that I had started contemplating running for student body president. And that was an experience in itself. And I was proud to have served as NC State's student body president and ex officio trustee in the 2016-17 academic year. And that in itself was a profound transformative experience for me, in addition to going to class every day and trying to maintain friendships and have a social life and all these other things that the undergraduates do. I think that's so awesome that you got elected to be the president of like a university as amazing as ours is. And that must have been just a bold endeavor to be like, I think I'll run. Yeah, you you have to be a little a little crazy to think that that's, you know, a position that's right for you. <laughs> um, and NC State has what about 34,000 students. So I tell people that I was representing you know, more more people than some towns and municipalities in the state of North Carolina. So uh, talk about real world experience and what it looks like for someone like myself who is considering a, a life in public service that was a very real experience. I can only imagine. And just to interrupt you on your story, to digress on this little piece of your your journey, you mentioned how transformative this was. So what was, I guess, the highlight of your student body government experience as the president? Mm. I think for me, it's it's really knowing that I I got to where I was not 
because of myself, but because of the communities and the people and the places that had invested so much in me. And I constantly reminded myself of that throughout my year that my team and I had had a couple slogans that we'd always throw around. And one was, it's not about you. So, so every time that, you know, we had a, a success or a win for us, it was always one of those things that like, it's, it's not about us. It's about the people who put us here to do the hard work and to stay up late and to do what has to be done. So I think for me, that was one of the most rewarding things is constantly knowing that, you know, there are so many people that invested in, in us and our team to get here and that we were doing the good work of, of giving back and of, and of serving NC State, which was really a, a humbling lesson and something that's it's hard to kind of disassociate your ego from it. But ultimately, you know, you're you're doing the work not for yourself, but because NC State has a lot of opportunity and in, in places to grow and you're helping to get the university to where it should be. I love that. And I think that there's there's so much on a student's plate and to be able to juggle all this I just want to digress on a second to ask you about time and how how what tips you would have because students will be listening to this and thinking oh maybe I should take a bold move and have the courage to try something really hard how did you keep all those balls in the air and stay sane um, I, I wish there was a magic bullet and if there was uh, someone should please tell me because I could benefit from that to this day um, I, I hate to say that I killed off a lot of my regular sleep schedule in undergrad to make some of these things happen. Um, there's always trade-offs, though. So, you know, even though I was not sleeping nearly as much as I should have, uh, I see that reflected in, in my health even to the even even to this day. Um, but I, I think the most important thing is having a system in an organizational structure that works for you. So for me, I found a, a variety of of apps and, and productivity tools, including Google Calendar and... and uh, love Google Calendar. Love Google Calendar to, to everything. It, it organizes my entire life. And I, I just found the, the keep part of Google Calendar. Have you seen that part? Where, I, I mean, because I randomly will hear something. I'm a podcast nerd, so I'll listen and I'll, I'll just speak it into my phone and I can keep it on a note and color code it and put like a deadline on my calendar with it. So, Amazing. I love that. And I'm always in pursuit of other tools like that. And personally, I, I use a platform called Trello, which is a um, kind of board-like uh, digital platform that allows me to create these custom lists and these cards and assign notes to myself. So, But yeah, as, as I tell people, I try not to prescribe a solution for them. Find a system that works for you to keep your own brain organized because when you're moving and you're hustling and you've got places to be, it's good to know that you have all of the things that need to get done in some platform that's other than your own brain. <laughs> right, um, because it can, everyone has their different approach. And in our classes, we use the Gallup Strengths Finder, and we were chatting a little bit about that because I know you've used Gallup as well. And that can also influence like how you manage your time and how you interact with people. So I think it would be fun for you to share your top five with our listeners. Yes, so my, my top five strengths, um, I'm a learner, woo, focus, arranger in communication. Yes, and so I was saying we share communication and woo, which at first you were like, what is that? Yes, no, that's <laughs> um, one of my all-time favorite strengths is, is woo, and I think it reflects very well. But when I had originally done my strengths for the first time, I got looking at that like, what in the world is woo? And then I realized, yep, that's that's me. Well, it actually works well with the politician because you had to probably shake a lot of hands and, you know, <laughs> get the crowd going and grip and grin to get that position as president. Um, 
um, yeah, ever, and, and it continues long after you get the position as well, as you go and have to shake hands of administrators and go to events with a high-profile alumni and shake hands and grin and, and be polite. But as always, I try to tell myself to be authentic as well. So woo is something that comes very naturally, and being kind of a smiley, approachable person is something that's baked into who I am. That's what I love about the Gallup strengths is there's, I think, a 1 in 33 million chance that someone would have the same top five strengths in the same order as you. So realizing and embracing like this is where my shoulders are broadest and this is what I bring to the party that everyone else can benefit from and the authenticity point that you made just genuinely like this comes easy for me and I don't even know it's a strength it's just part of my being. Well, I want to go back to student body president for a second and ask you about, I could ask you about all your achievements, which I'm sure are amazing, but what was a mistake you made or a time you were vulnerable or it just stumbled? Because I think a lot of times people are afraid of failure and of um, trying something really hard because they're not ready for it and they might not do it perfectly. Does that perfection addiction ring true to anyone here? Yeah. <laughs> Um, yes. And I, I think one thing that I've learned is, is to fail and fail often. And especially to, it's, it's better to fail in spaces where you are kind of given permission to do so. And I'm very thankful that a lot of people who had mentored me and, and advised me in my time in, in that role in that capacity were very forgiving because there were, were a lot of mistakes that were made along the way. Um, one that comes to mind in particular, uh, people who went to NC State when I was student body president know that our team was very particularly passionate about racial issues on our campus and making sure that NC State was being respectful as, as it was claiming to be a very diverse and inclusive environment. Um, and there had come a time where myself and other students included felt like we needed to take some more radical and traditional stances um, and begin to administer a list of demands to our administration by virtue of not feeling heard. And that, in retrospect, was a very confrontational approach and was perceived as such. And also, though, the group of students who had written these these lists of demands were very heavily focused on the Black and African American community. And that was just where our attention and our focus was at the time. But there were other communities, marginalized minority groups, that did not feel included in that and were particularly angry that we were advocating on behalf of diversity collectively, yet the group itself was only of one or two demographic groups and we had received a lot of pushback on that um, from other students who wanted their names and their voices to be heard in that process but also from some minority or marginalized groups that did want they did not want their name or their experience tied to something because they weren't involved in the process so there were definitely some public moments of me getting uh, a, a earful of criticism. <laughs> um, but I think that's something that comes with being a leader, right? Is being able to listen and to actually absorb that and to, to listen, to understand, not to listen, to respond and immediately knew where they were coming from and how to make course corrections. And thankfully had a, a very trustworthy team to rely on to help guide me through some of those moments as well, because we knew that our values were in the right place and what we wanted to do was, was on, on the high ground, but finding the mechanism of which to do that and to express our values and our concerns and our passions is, is something that we all had to learn. 
And your point about fail and fail often, I think is so important to embrace because it's easy to stay in the comfort zone. And when you are taking the risk, that's when it's scary and you realize that, you know, I might not be successful at this. And in your case, you learned a lot about the process and you talked about this transformative journey that you had because, I mean, your 20s are a chance to make lots of stumbles. And my students hear me say all the time, it's your trying 20s. You get to try a lot of things and you're not going to love all of them and everyone's not always going to love you. So let's kind of take it back to the career part. I know you were giving your introduction. What did you first want to be when you grew up just when you were a young lad and you know you get that question and it evolves over time and I'm guessing that things maybe have changed a bit for you. Can you remember? Yes, I certainly can. Um, I knew that I wanted to be an engineer from a very young age, and I attribute the fact that my mother gave me Legos to play with and free space to think and create and, and be me was, was something that I, I really respect and, and look back fondly upon. And those dreams of being an engineer stuck with me up until I came here and got my degree until ultimately different passions and, and life led me in a different direction. And that's that's where we are now. And I still look back and, and think that I still have very much an engineering mindset and I have an engineering degree now, but the work that I'm doing is is not in a lab, but it's equally as, as meaningful to the work that I always thought I would be doing. So this is great to hear about how college impacted you. And I, I want you to tell a little bit about upon your senior year, as a lot of people are graduating and, and making that transition to the work world, um, what kinds of job offers you had and choices you had to make and how your values grounded you on what you're actually doing now and in the future? Yeah. So um, I had interned with Deloitte, which is a consulting group, um, pretty high profile, uh, the summer of my junior year. So I was working up in D.C., part of their federal consulting unit. I was actually placed on, on Amtrak. So I was helping, I tell people I was helping make America's Rail the best it can possibly be. <laughs> uh, yeah, a, a lot of people like hear that and grin through their teeth, having not the best experience on Amtrak or America's rail system. Um, but they were convinced on hiring me as well as many other interns that had um, been with them that summer. And it was a lot of a lot of money. <laughs> it was a very substantial salary that I had in my pocket if I wanted it. Um, but ultimately, I, I knew that, or at the time, I had really thought that graduate school was in my future. Um, I, I felt strongly about my academic path and the work that I wanted to do and was really dead set on going to get my master's at the time. And I had turned down that offer in pursuit of what I thought was going to be higher education in my life. Um, and then that's when everything got derailed when I had uh, a now colleague of mine, but someone at NC State University, a staff member who intervened and got me to think about AmeriCorps. And that was ultimately when I had started to figure out what this program is. It was the first time I was in my super senior year. I had never heard of an AmeriCorps service program before. I'd heard of like Teach for America and I'd heard of the Peace Corps, but this whole idea of AmeriCorps was something I had never thought of before. And ultimately after really taking some time to think about it and to learn more about the program, that's when I knew it was right for me. And that's when I said, okay, I'm going to put graduate school plans on hold for a year as I go and do a year of full-time service um, as an AmeriCorps VISTA. Wow. So a year of full-time service, weighing that option against the 
high dollar salary in the big city. And this is kind of tying back to values. And I wanted you to maybe mention a little bit about what's important to you and why you decided to go towards the service. Yeah. And as, as I touched on earlier that, you know, one of the core things that I hold dear is knowing that I'm the product of the people and the places who have invested so much in me. And that's been a theme that's emerged that I have a lot of respect for. And as I got thinking about what is it that I want to do with with my life? What, what is the impact that I want to have on on these same people, on these same places that have given so much to me? And that was really the core of my value system that allowed me to come to the conclusion that I wanted to serve and I wanted to be of service for a year and I wanted to serve here in North Carolina. Um, I was additionally fortunate that um, at the same time of learning about these programs, an opportunity came up to serve out of an institute at NC State University. So I considered it almost to be sort of an extension of my service as student body president, just serving in a different capacity. You know, it's not a high profile leadership position, but it's a different way to give back to the university that had given me so much to North Carolina. And ultimately what I ended up doing for a whole year was working on college and career access programs for high school youth across the whole state. And not something that I found a particular passion for is making sure that young people know what their career options are and what their educational options are, and also knowing um, what their interests and their strengths are. And helping high school students talk about it and figure out what they want to do with their lives was something that I found to be tremendously rewarding during my year of service. And this is something I think a lot of people, like you said, just don't know about. And so I'm excited that the students hearing your story, it will open up a new possibility because tying that into wanting to give back. And we we talk about the two M's, money and mission. And it sounded like you went more towards the mission and that was extremely fulfilling and you wouldn't regret at all that year of service, but you had some sacrifices. Tell us what that was like. Yeah, so <laughs> um, it, it is a year of service. Um, there is a very modest compensation that's provided. Um, the program is designed and structured in such a way that you can meet your basic needs such as rent and, and food and toothpaste and deodorant, you know, like the very essentials of your being. Um, but that's that's about it. And it was very difficult for me to really tell my friends what I was doing because a lot of people were perceiving this as an unpaid job or an unpaid internship or like a low wage job and to really get people to understand that no this is a year of service um, is something that I, I could really wrap my head around but other people couldn't just it's very it's a very different frame right that a lot of my friends followed the familiar when they graduated they went to grad school they got quote-unquote big boy jobs um, and I did something that forged my own path but um, trying to live on a budget in Wake County for, I think, a little over $12,000 was what my stipend was for the year, um, was not without its challenges. And that, that is, that, that's amazing. So I, I, you know, in my class, I teach the USC 401 and it's kind of the adulting professional development class for seniors and we do a budget and students are all looking at the average salaries, you know, like you said, in engineering, it's, it's top dollar. I don't know what, um, would you be willing to say what you were offered and what you turned down for your engineering big boy job? Um, yeah, I think it was upwards of $80,000. Okay, that's what I was thinking around the averages were. <laughs> so giving up 80000 for 12000 and mm. like you said, um, basically living at the poverty level with food stamps. Um, so how did that change you as a person? 
Yeah, so I think um, it was a remarkably humbling experience for me. Uh, you know, knowing that you turn down a lot of money <laughs> um, and in other ways that you could have launched your career, but to give back. And I, I do look back on it and I, I wouldn't change anything for it. I, I really wouldn't. Um, but part of the program is if you're going to serve people in poverty, that you yourself should have at least a little bit of an experience of what that looks like. Um, that's, that's how the program is designed. Um, but knowing that it took me three and a half hours to fill out the food stamp application online, and this is me being a tech savvy, college educated young person. Um, it just kind of makes you wonder like, what if you're a single mother, you know, with three kids working two jobs, how, how long did it take that person to fill out an application for food assistance? Wow. Um, so it, it, and it's just experiences like that, that, constantly hit you and, and being able to budget dollar for dollar. I mean, for the first four months, I was tracking every single dollar that went in and out of my bank account and keeping it into a big Excel spreadsheet and self-tracking and, and self-reporting to make sure that I could make ends meet. And I, I think that has been a lesson in, in itself of fiscal responsibility that even to this day, now that I'm gainfully employed and have a, a reasonable wage, I still have a mindset that I only spend money on the things that I absolutely need to. And mm. that, that's something that's going to stick with me for a very long time. This is a whole year, Paul. <laughs> this isn't just like, let me do a little month-long volunteer. But a year of your life giving back and helping people that are less fortunate and appreciating that. And how would you, were there days that you just said, why did I do this? All my friends are going out to the concert and I can't. Um, definitely. <laughs> um, there were there were days where I was very sad, and um, but also um, I served in AmeriCorps Vista, which that particular branch is all about doing capacity building for nonprofits and public agencies. So it's definitely more of of a desk job kind of service. Um, so I was still having a supervisor and still being in a work environment. So I was on the same tier of a lot of my friends and roommates who, you know, are struggling with the realities of shifting from an undergraduate life to a real job um, and, and still having some of those burdens and knowing that I had work responsibilities and deadlines and to get through really hard meetings with my supervisor or I would want to go across the street and cry. <laughs> like, um, those are still real experiences that, that I had, um, that I had to navigate through and work with. And it was just additionally difficult knowing that that compensation component isn't there and that you're, you're being of service for a year. And I, I would lie if I was saying it, it, it does take a lot out of you um, to, to do that day after day for an entire year. And it sounds like it's it was hard, but in a struggle where you can now look back and say that you overcame it. And there is this notion of happiness, like the, the whole, like, what does happiness mean? And one of the definitions that I really like that Sean Acor, who wrote The Happiness Advantage and Big Potential, shared is it is the progress of moving towards your potential, that's part of what happiness is. It's not just that fleeting joy of, 
oh, I ate something delicious or bought a lovely pair of shoes. I'm so happy. There's also research that shows if you got $50, if you bought yourself shoes or donated it, you'd be happier if you donated it. And so, you know, when he talks about moving towards your potential, this can be a struggle. Like this can be waking up at 2 a.m. with your infant. This can be, you know, running the marathon and feeling like you're about to die. That's part of the obstacle, I think. And I wonder what your feeling is on that um, definition. And did you feel happy that year? Yeah, you know, I, I definitely do. And it's also an immense point of privilege to be able to wake up every day and to think and to serve other people. And that's something that's been so transformative for me and, and has been so crucial in, in my own growth and, and development that it, it really does change you. When you get up every single day and your task is to serve people other than yourselves, um, uh, other than yourself, that's, th- th- that's remarkable. And I think, and I firmly believe that if more young people in particular uh, would be willing to commit themselves to a year of full-time service, that imagine what a generation would look like if we had all kinds of young people dedicating themselves to causes that they care about, right? For me, you know, I was particularly passionate about education and, and career pathways and was able to get up every day and to walk and to live in my purpose. And yes, I knew that the compensation was difficult, <laughs> um, but knowing that I was being of service to other people, that really did create a, a sense of happiness in, in me. And it's that also, it's also that kind of happiness that allows you to get through those difficult moments. So I agree with the definition. And the only thing I would tackle on is, as we're talking about definitions of things that we care about, um, I love the definition of, of grit that I think comes from, um, is it Angela Duckworth um, over at University yes. of, of Pennsylvania that grit is passion and perseverance for particularly long-term goals. So that was kind of my internal monologue. As I got up every day, I said, all right, this is my one year long-term goal and I'm gonna have the passion and perseverance to get through this because one, I'm strong enough to, and too, because I, I care about the work and, and I care about giving back. You said so much in that. So with the um, with the Angela Duckworth grit idea, I think a common misconception of students is like, I have to know that passion, you know? And it was funny that you said you loved Legos and wanted to be an engineer when you were little. But a lot of people when they're 18, 19, 20, they don't know their passion. And she talks about like, you got to work really hard to find it. And it doesn't just all of a sudden a light bulb goes off. Yeah. And then the other thing you said was purpose, which I like because I kind of have my little side tagline, which is purpose pusher and intentionally are trying to get people to think about, you know, why are you here? And I say, I devote my life to helping other people figure out what to devote theirs to. And that's an awesome purpose. Like every day I wake up, I feel so reinforced and energized that I had an impact on someone. So in your case, purpose was a big driver. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. And and to back up about what you said on passion too, that you know <laughs> I felt a lot of that pressure too in undergrad, right? That there's a lot of like, oh, do what you're passionate about, and you hear that on day one of college, and you hear it at commencement, and you're still kind of scratching your head of like, well, what does that mean? And what is my passion? And we treat it like it's underneath some rock somewhere, and you just have to go and like flip over enough rocks, and you'll find your passion. Um, and I think the, the reality of it is that it takes a, a lot of time and effort to cultivate a passion. And it's something that doesn't just hit you. It's something that you have to really spend some time exploring and maintaining that pa- passions take work. Um, and I also think it's, uh, if this is my time for a shameless plug on the AmeriCorps program, <laughs> that um, AmeriCorps allows you to 
do something for a year that you might not otherwise have considered. Um, and if you think you're passionate about a certain area, whether it's you know, providing college access for students, or if it's something more hands-on, like building trails or mentoring youth or doing conservation work, um, AmeriCorps is really an opportunity for young people to, to go and to try something that they might care about for a whole year. And the best part is, um, if it's not right for you, at the end of that year, you're done and you can say that you were of service and to be really proud of that. But who knows? Some people might uncover their own passions or their own pride somewhere in that and, and lead them on a brand new tra trajectory. And one of the gals that I served with, her name is Hedel Patel. She's um, served as a VISTA out at the Reedsville Area Foundation and fell in love with the community and was using VISTA as a way of switching a career um, that she had in nutrition to doing more community-based work. And so many people fell in love with her that she became the executive director of the Boys and Girls Club um, following her year of service and is now there, you know, living in her purpose, being very happy. But otherwise, you know, had she not done her year of service, might still be in a job in nutrition where she was not particularly passionate about that. So I think it just goes to show that everyone has their own story and, and a year of service is impactful in so many different ways. And for you, this notion of spending that whole year, there were lots of challenges, lots of trials, but it has helped you to move forward too with a success that you have that is coming up in the future. And I wonder if you could share a little bit more about your story and the next chapter that awaits you. Totally. Um, <laughs> so in my year of service um, was phenomenal. And following my year of service, the Institute for Emerging Issues, which is where I served, um, hired me full-time, which was amazing. So as we talk about AmeriCorps as, as a very viable career pathway, that's definitely my case, that now I'm actually working on a program to help scale more service years across the state of North Carolina to get more young people serving. And you know that's now my day job, and I absolutely love it. But also my year of service was a staple in my application to the U.S. Fulbright program, where um, thankfully that has come back in the affirmative. And this August 1st, I will be on a plane out to Norway to be a Fulbrighter for a whole year. And I can draw a direct line between, you know, my stress and confusion and anxiety as an undergraduate student, gaining clarity in AmeriCorps and getting my first full-time job out of AmeriCorps because of that, and then using the, the skills and the things that I learned in this high-profile application that has now been signed off by the U.S. State Department and, you know, the Norwegian government. And now that's a remarkable opportunity that has paved and opened its way for, for myself. Congratulations to you. That Thank is you. so exciting. So counting down to heading over to Norway. And how long will your Fulbright go? Um, just about a year. Okay. And what do you think is next after that? <laughs> I know I'm going to push you, yes, you know, know, goals, goals, goals. Um, I've, I've almost given up kind of planning because again, as we talked about, like I, I had given up a massive salary in pursuit of what I thought was graduate school. And then, you know, this year of service has completely put me on a new, on a new path of, of self-purpose and doing things that I care about. But I, I do think it's time to finally revisit the graduate school idea um, and, and to go back to school and, and to, to get my master's and, and hopefully you know, public policy, public administration, that's the work that I want to do. I feel far more confident in that after my year of service and knowing that I'm really trying to pave a, a path forward for me that looks like public service is, is a career that I want to have. 
And you've done it a little differently, like you said, than many of your friends who have the quote, big boy jobs and big girl jobs. And this takes a lot of courage to not follow the path that you think you're supposed to do. It's like, well, we go to grad school or get, you know, the big paying job. But to do this year of service has impacted you in such a positive way. Now you're getting more and more people involved in it. So for the student that is kind of thinking, I don't know what I want to do next, it seems like a great way to figure it out, right? It, it definitely does. Um, again, it's it's an opportunity for you to gain really real world skills through hands-on service for a whole year. And that's kind of like the AmeriCorps tagline or, or a definition of a service year. Um, but it's also for people who, you know, even if you do know your passion, even if you do know that you want a, a high salary job, um, it's still for, for that person as well. You know, I think service is great because anybody can serve. And I'm pretty sure that's a MLK quote. <laughs> um, but, you know, service is something that just gets in your bones. And, you know, once you do it, you want to stand on the mountaintop and, and shout about it and get other people to go into serve as well. So, Yes, it's amazing for people who want to try something new for a year, but it's also amazing for people that if they just want to take a, a year to step back before they launch themselves into a, a busy career or an adult life to really take some time to reflect on your values and to give back. This is this is important for people that need to find their purpose. This is a chance to explore it. And even for those that have, like you said, the grad school in mind, this can be a stepping stone. So, of course, how can people find out more? We will link up here in our notes um, about the website. Yeah, of course. Um, so what we're mostly funneling people toward is a platform called serviceyear.org. And it's a pretty amazing tech platform that allows you to create your own profile and input some of your interests and passions and also figure out where you want to serve. You know, for me, I felt called and, and compelled to serve in North Carolina, but my supervisor at the Institute, um, she actually used a year of service to travel from her home state of California all the way over to New Hampshire. So um, one of the benefits of the program is actually a, a relocation allowance. So if you feel called to serve elsewhere in the US, you know you can go and, and serve there. But uh, the, the platform is really great about connecting young people to different passion areas, different geographies, different sectors. Um, and there's also very different kinds of service. Again, I did something that was more of in an office at a desk, but there's also um, FEMA Corps where people are out doing disaster relief or other very hands-on types of service. So the, the platform helps walk you through what is the best um, service outlet for you. It's very, very customizable. The programs are very diverse in their nature. So odds are something will, will be right and will fit your interest. Well, Paul, our time has flown. You have been a true inspiration. Thank you for sharing these ideas with us and good luck to you in Norway. Yeah, thank you so much. The NC State Career Development Center prepares and empowers students to identify and pursue their career goals. Stop by Poland Hall to learn more. Thank you for listening to Wolfpack Career Chats, and we hope to see you around campus. Have a packtacular day.